let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's, let's try to allow the Word of God to really minister to our lives. We have been, of course, but this is very practical. What, what we are going to try to... to what Paul is, is, is sharing with us is, is very, very practical within our faith. He, he's, he's, he's ending this particular chapter, and we're going to cover the whole chapter. We're going to finish chapter 4. And he, and he finishes by, by, by quoting a verse that, that Kay decided long ago that, that, that our two children and, and me, their father, we would all learn and, and, and know as a family, be kind to one, one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That verse has played many dividends within our life as a family. Um, Kay was very wise uh, teaching that to our children. We wanted, we wanted our kids to really speak kindly of each other, to love one another. And, 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 and you know, God was really gracious. Our, our, uh, that, that happened. Our, our, our daughter really just, her, her brother was her hero throughout school. And... and um, and John Mark just absolutely loved his, his uh, little sister and, and, um, and really took care of her on, on wherever they were on campus, at school or wherever they went. And, and it was part and parcel of, of trying to put the Word of God in their hearts, you know. And, and so what, what Paul is, is trying to do is to get very practical with you and me. He's taught us that, that we are to be a people who are to walk... Well, let's review. Just please with me, indulge me. Let's, let's review just a little bit of what we've been learning. We've learned that, that, that our old way of walking is not acceptable to God anymore. That we're to put on a new self. We've become, as Paul wrote, new creatures. We have now been created in Christ Jesus for these wonderful things that He has prepared for us. And so we are reminded, if you if you look at, at chapter 4 and verse 17, we were reminded by Paul that we're no longer to walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, the old, the old lifestyle ought to stop. We're not to live like a non-believer anymore. That's what it says when it says a Gentile. What, what God wants us to do is, is how Paul so beautifully began this, this particular chapter. He, he says in, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, look, I'm, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And he says, I, I want to entreat you. Maybe, maybe a chocolate, maybe this is a chocolate fountain. I'm begging you, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You see, he, he desires for us to to walk in a different way. And the reason is, he said in verse 20, you, you did not learn Jesus Christ in this way. So he says in verse 24, I, I want you to put on your new self so that you can, as he asks us in verse 12, to equip one another within the family of God so as to do the work of service that God has called us to do within the family and so that we might, by the grace of an almighty God, build up the family of God. 
And, and we were taught in chapter 2, one of my favorite little places, in chapter 2, after verses 8 9, he says in verse 10 that, that you and I have been created. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which Paul wrote under the inspiration of God the Holy, God the Holy Spirit, which, you, which God has prepared beforehand so that you might walk in these works. He hasn't even entrusted the fact that you and I have to think of them on our own. He has created these things beforehand and just helps us walk in them, as any good parent would to their child. You kind of, kind of do things to, to, to allow your children to do something that, that they feel that they have a part in, but in, in truth they do, but in real truth you, you've set it up. You've set it up so that they won't fail. Or at least you set it up so that they have an opportunity to fail. So at least they have an opportunity to, to see if they can do it. So he says, you and I, we've been created in Christ Jesus for these good works, and God has already prepared them beforehand. And so he asks us to lay aside, in verses 22 to 24, lay aside our old selves, put on this new person who we are in Jesus Christ. And one of, one of my favorite verses is because, because verse 16. Look, look again, remind yourselves, of verse 16, from whom he says the, the whole body is, is being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That's all of us, all of us supplying according to the proper working of each individual part, walking in a, in a manner worthy, so to speak, of our calling. And it causes, it says at the end of verse 16, the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so our calling is clear. We're to put on our new self. We're to, we're to supply what it is that we have been given, each of us, causing the growth of this body that we have called the Rock Community Church. But before we can do all of that, there needs to be some practical changes. And, and Paul gets as practical as he can here. He tells us in verse 25, if you're lying, stop it. Tell the truth. Verse 26, if you're angry, he says, don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In verse 28, he says, if you've stolen, stop it. Work with your hands. Do something good so that you might have something to share with someone else who might have need. And don't let an unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, as he says in verse 29. But only really a word that is good, good for the moment, to edify, to build up one another. This is so practical. So practical. Read with me, please. Verses 17 to, 20, to uh, 32. We will finish this chapter. The only reason I'm starting with verse 17 is to kind of... I know we've covered it, but it's, it's to kind of get the flavor. 
of what Paul is saying here. This is very practical Christianity that comes from a new, a new creature. He says, This I say, therefore, and I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard of Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of of life, you, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and and yet don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with, with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you and me. Father, to read your word and, and to realize that, yes, Paul wrote it, we understand that. We understand that this is a circular letter. It was sent to a number of churches. But when we really get down to the very blood and guts, if I may say that, Father, of, of your word, we realize that this is saying things that you have said through Paul to us so that we might hear from you. And for those of us that might need change, we, we are told by your grace, Father, that your word, when it goes forth, will, will not come back void. It will accomplish what it is that you sent it out to do. And so we trust in that. We, we trust in that in this church from the very depth of our soul. We believe the study of your word, word upon word, line upon line, is just the way you would have asked us to do it. And so we're trying with all of our hearts to be obedient. We're trying with all of our hearts, dear Father, to motivate each and every single one of us that we would become a church that you want us to become. 
we take this faith that we have seriously, Father. And that we would behold wonderful things from your law. And that it would move our very spirit within us. Doing what, Father, you've asked for it to do. I ask you move me aside. That I ask, Father, please. I, I, I desire not to, to be the one who is seen giving this message. Rather, I, I would desire, Father, that each of us, myself included, would see exactly what it is you're saying to us, each of us, so that we might allow your word to do its work within us this morning, for this day, for this time of the year, for forever, forever. Your word will not come back void, so we put it out, Father. But we don't put it out haphazardly. We ask that you, you do it. Teach us. Mold us into the people you desire us to be. And I thank you, Father, for your kindness. In Jesus' precious, precious, precious name. Amen. Well, isn't this something? Thanksgiving is already gone. Already gone. And I can fit into my pants. This has been a, this has been a good Thanksgiving. No, I was trying to be silly. But isn't it amazing? Here we are rushing into this most amazing of seasons. We're rushing into the season of season for those of us who trust and, and believe in Jesus Christ, the birth, the very birth of our Savior. To praise His holy and righteous name in our families, in our, in our, our lives, to the people we might meet, wherever we may go. It's a great time of the year. And so Paul is saying, if I may impose upon this place in Scripture for this time of this year, he's imposing upon us the practicality of our faith. This, this new life that you and I have, that, that we have been given. Verses between 21 and 24 are hinged upon two very wonderful words. In verse 20 it says, but you. If you remember back, in chapter 2, I believe it is. Let me look. Of course. In chapter 2, in verse 1, we were told this. We were dead. Absolutely, utterly dead in our trespasses and in our sins. It says in verse 4 of chapter 2, two very famous words there that we looked at then. But God. But God gave us life, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. Well, God did all of that. What Paul is saying here in verse 20 is, but you. He is now saying, you and I need to do something. Our state here, as we read in verses 17, 18, and 19, shows us that, that really mankind is not much better off we see how the, the pagan world lives. And sadly, some people who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior live that type of life still, in and out, in and out. Verse 17, lived with the futility of their minds, 
pagans do. Verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. They are excluded, it says, from the very life of God because of the hardness of their hearts. Verse 19, not only are they calloused, but they now are practicing every kind of impurity with greediness. It's it's a mess. And Paul says to you and me, but you, verse 20, but you, you didn't learn Jesus Christ in this way. In other words, the way of this world is not God's way and it shouldn't be our way anymore. We should change. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verses 38, 39, and 40, that he said in those words that we are to be saved from this perverse generation in which we live. In fact, he says... Not only us, but our children as well. Look at verse 38. In fact, we printed it up on the, on the screen. You can look at it in your own Bibles, of course, of course. But we just kind of made an emphasis of it. Peter said to them, watch, Repent. Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift, gift of the Holy Spirit. But watch, watch. Verse 39, look, this promise, it's for you and for your children. I know of no other reason for me personally to try to be a godly man. I know of no other reason now because I know I'm going to heaven. I I know who I am in the Lord, but now I want to live. I want to live this promise out not only for myself, but for my kids. And I might add now, I've lived long enough that I have grandkids that I want to live it out for. In fact, Kay and I mentioned, leave this up there just for a moment, but Kay and I mentioned just the other day, after we had Thanksgiving with my son, his beautiful wife, and our son and our, our grandson and our granddaughter. And the kids prayed for the meal. I'll tell you what, I didn't need to eat. That was food enough. To think that my son and his wife walked with Jesus Christ and now their kids are walking with Christ. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. But the crux of what I wanted you to see is in verse 40. Would you put that up? There it is. And, and with many other words, I keep pointing over here. I'm right at it, aren't I? I want to bring us into this. And for many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them. This is what I said. He said, look, it, be saved. Be saved, he says, from this perverse generation. The very purpose of you and me having this new life, this very purpose, the sole reason that we teach you here. The sole reason that we tell you of Jesus Christ as we do is to be saved from this perverse generation in which we live. But also, look in your Bibles at verse 21 of Ephesians 4. Here's the reason we teach you of Christ. If indeed, Paul writes, you've heard of Him 
If indeed, he writes, you have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. Listen, the sum of all truth, the sum of of really everything that we move into this time of the year, this Christmas season, which, by the way, society is trying to make it into happy holidays. Don't let them. Just don't let them. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. But don't let them. Merry Christmas, Mr. Goenstein. You know? What's, what's so wrong with that? It's not an offense to him. It's just a statement of this time of the year that has been going on and on and on for every generation. All of a sudden, these last few generations or years, I guess, people are being offended by Christmas. Christmas. The truth of the reason you and I live. You know, the world asks today the same question that Pilate asked. Put that up on the board. In John chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate just uttered these words when Jesus Christ explained himself to him. He says, uh-huh, what is truth? By the way, if you read that account, he doesn't wait for an answer. Pilate doesn't. He had asked the very one who could tell him what is truth. And he didn't wait for an answer. And yet Paul teaches, look at 2 Corinthians. Yeah, look at what's up there now. 2 Corinthians 11.10. Paul tells us the truth of Christ is in us. In me, Paul says. You see, truth is possible to know. Truth is very possible to have once we come to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. It is in us. In us, truth is. And so we have a choice. As a church, we have a choice. We have a choice to know and learn the truth of Jesus Christ and His words or not to. So we, we beg of you, chocolate fountain, come, please come, please come, learn about Jesus Christ. I, I realize sometimes it's time. You can't come to everything. I understand that. But don't, don't come just because, I don't know, it's probably not for me, you might think. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's for the other person that you can impact while you're there. Truth. The choice is ours. And to really know it, we must study it. It doesn't come by osmosis. If you desire the truth, you need to come to church. You need to get involved to know to know this one in whom you believe. You see, to know Jesus Christ is to know truth. To know the true God and eternal life. I want to hold your place here. I want you to see one verse, but it's worth the trip to go to 1 John. It's way in the back near, near the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. I, I give you this verse, and I have before, in, in case anybody comes to your door and knocks and tells you that there is another way to God or that Jesus Christ is not truly God, but He is a God, you need to see and allow them to read with you out of your Bible, 1 John 5.20. And then, and then after you read it, <clears throat> allow them to read it out of their Bible. But first yours. 
The reason first yours is you want them to see what it says because in the new Mormon Bibles, they have changed this verse. So what you do, here's what at least I would do, if there's two of them, and there always are, one of the two is, one is just learning. He's kind of new. You need to know that if they come to your doors, whether they're Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. And so you try to find out who's the new one, and you talk to him as hard. Because he's not so infiltrated yet. Talk to his heart. Ask him, are your parents Mormon? Do you know older people who are Mormons? Find an old Bible and reread 1 John 5.20 in your older version of Bibles. Because you know what? In their older versions, it reads just like it reads here out of yours and mine today. But they've changed it because this verse caused them all kinds of problems. It says this, 1 John 5.20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Listen now. He's given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. The next sentence, this is the true God in eternal life, must, by the Greek language, refer itself back to the last one mentioned, namely Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, this is the true God in eternal life. There's a, no denying that Jesus Christ is God, a very God. Scripture teaches it. This verse nails it. It is so, such a strong verse that rather than to try to change the philosophy of some religions, they changed their Bibles so as to match their philosophy. Naughty. Naughty, naughty thing to do. Because you can take them back to the book of Revelation and you can tell them anyone who adds to or takes away from this the book of life, so God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. Look, you don't want to mess with the Word of God. And so you go to that one who is younger and you tell him, go and find an older Bible and compare it to what, what you have right now and you'll see somebody changed the Word of God so that you might not look at Jesus Christ for who He truly is. True God. Truth. Eternal life. Don't be like Pilate, folks. When we walk into this Christmas season, don't be like Pilate who foolishly, foolishly asks, what's truth? What is truth? And then refused to listen to the answer and walked away without really wanting to hear and to know. What we need to be, look back at chapter 1 of Ephesians. You're in Ephesians. Look at verse 13. It's a, we talked about it when we went through chapter 1, but let's go back. Maybe, maybe it'll... It'll explode upon our hearts this time even more. Paul reasons in Ephesians 1.13, In Him, in Jesus Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the very gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed. You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I, I, can there be any more wonderful news? In Him also you, after listening the message of truth the gospel of your salvation 
And having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the that's the most glorious truth that you and I can read of as we walk in towards the Christmas season. All because of Jesus Christ, we are held secure. So, if we are this secure in Him, and He wants us to have this new life, He says, let's be practical. He, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, no need to look at it, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away and new things have come. That's what he's saying right here in Ephesians 4, verses 22, 23, and 24. Lay aside your old self. If anyone is Christ, he's a new creature. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Old things have passed away. Put on your new self. Behold, new things have come. So Paul now takes us from these first few verses in chapter 4 to verses 25 to 32. And he gives us the practical side of our faith. He tells us, the things that you're doing incorrectly, stop. Just stop doing them. Because they'll tear you down. They'll take you and me away from Jesus Christ. In other words, he says in verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit anymore. In reality, the only true way that you and I can know that another person is saved is not by their testimony. It's not so much by the words that come out of their mouth. But our assurance of our salvation or another person's salvation is how they live today. How their present life reflects a humble walk with Jesus Christ. It's like we say here over and over and over again. It, it really isn't where you began your walk with Jesus Christ that so interests us. What interests me is how you and I finish, how we end up this walk that we've been so preciously given. Walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Remember, when Jesus Christ called a person, He simply said normally when He walked this earth in the Gospels, two words. Remember? Follow Me. That's basically what He said. Take this upon yourself. Follow Me. In other words, a new life. Follow Me. Leave what you're doing. Follow Me. Listen, we're not supposed to be cookie-cutter Christians. I, I want you to know that. I, we're not robots here. We're not supposed to be. Each of us have a, our own personality for a very specific reason. God chose you just as you are to be who you are in Christ so that you might find that one person or many people that need to know about Him and, and will relate to your personality. That's why I need some who are loud and some who are not so loud and some who are very learned and some of us who are not so learned so that we can reach all variety of people. All He asks of us the same is that we be obedient. And the paradox of Christianity, plain and simple, is this. Both the will of God and yours and my will is at work together. That's why He said in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 4, but God made us alive together. That was his part. Well, here in chapter 4, 
In verse 20, he says, but you. But you didn't learn Christ in this way. And so he is showing us now how we are to change, how we are to be this new person in Christ. And he gives us a specific command. He says, stop and begin, basically. Watch. In verses 25, 26, 27, and 28, Paul God says through Paul, stop. Stop lying. Stop being angry. Stop stealing. And stop bickering. On the other hand, he says in verses 29 through 32, begin. Begin telling the truth to one another. Begin healing relationships with one another. Begin working, sharing, being kind to another person. Begin forgiving others, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. We're to become like our Lord. You see, it grieves, verse 30, it grieves the Spirit of God when we speak unkindly to one another. It grieves the Spirit of God when we steal or when we get angry or when we are bickering. So, what Paul does now in verses 31 and 32, as he closes with a very scary and greasy slide towards sin. Deeper and deeper into sin, I should say. Verses 31 and 32, we, we find six words. Read with me, please. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, one. Wrath, two. Anger, three. Clamor, four. Slander five, and malice. Let them all be put away. Six words. First three, bitterness, wrath, and anger, all happen within. These are our words or sins that occur within a person. On the other hand, clamor, slander, and malice, these are all things that happen outwardly. They feed off the first three. But watch, they grow progressively worse. First word in verse 31, bitterness. Greek, P-I-K-R-I-A. It reflects a smoldering resentment, uh, a brooding grudge against another person. It is a, a spirit that becomes irritable and has animosity towards the other person. Just kind of smolders bitterness if you find it there cut it out stop it i'll tell you how in a minute simple as this could be second word in verse 31 is wrath it's in the greek thermos t-h-u-r-m-o-s it has to do with a wild rage it is a a passion of the moment Bitterness is a smoldering resentment. Wrath is a passion. It's a rage. The third word, anger, is O-R-G-E. It's an internal smoldering. It's a, it's a deep, deep resentful feeling against the other person. So there's bitterness, there's wrath, and there's anger. These are all things that are building up inside. They're, they're like eating at us if we allow them. The next three in verse 31 are all things that happen outside. 
clamor. The Greek word is K-R-A-U-G-E. It's a, a shout. It's an outcry. It's a public outburst, a loss of someone's control. Finally, this bitterness and wrath and anger come out and clamor comes out. You just yell at the other person. The fourth word is, or excuse me, the fifth word is slander. You'll know at the moment you hear the Greek word, it's blasphemia. B-L-A-S-P-H-E-M-I-A. We get the word blasphemy from it. It is to leash out and to defame the other person's character that comes from a bitter heart. Bitterness, wrath, and anger is stored up within and then out comes clamor and then out comes slander. Just just try to defame that person's character. You might not be able to physically hurt them, but by golly, you can do damage to their character. Which brings us to the last word, malice. K-A-K-I-A in the Greek. It's a, the general term for evil. It's the root of all vices. It's, it's when a person strikes out to do physical harm against the other person. Bitterness is, has grown. Wrath has grown. Anger has grown. Clamor has grown had its outburst and slander and so then you with malice hit that person strike them try to do them bodily harm each one has a progression that gets you deeper gets us deeper and deeper and deeper into this quagmire of sin what do we do to stop it it's really quite simple you stop it when you sense it you nip it in the bud but the best way to do it is what, what Paul taught in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. He said this, I can do all things, or I can handle all things through, darn, I forgot it. What is it? Christ who, yeah, that's it. That's right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you sense you have any one of those attitudes boiling within you, ask the Lord to take it away. Rather, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you and me. <laughs> right on the money. Let's quit. Father, thank you for this time the practical side of our faith, to stop stealing and start working so that we can share with others, to stop lying, to tell the truth, to stop being angry and not let the sun go down on this anger, not giving the devil an opportunity. Father, how practical can you get? Let us walk into this Christmas season. Christmas, Father, is just right before our eyes. Let us walk into this time of the year fully and deeply in love with You, willing, Father, to become a new creature. Old things passed away. 
Behold, new things have come. Let us fall in love with you and let us fall in love with each other. Just uh, the joy of family and friends during the Christmas season. I pray your blessings upon each of us, Father. Wherever you may take us, whatever it is that we have to do this day, may we do it, Father, as new creatures, people who um, walk around with a brand new attitude. And let us realize that we can do all things through your Son who will strengthen us to do what you've called us to do. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Have a great day. Next week we start chapter 5. Can you believe it? Almost done with this book. I love you all. Have a great, great day.